0: Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey.
1: We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Good morning, FBC family. Kim and I are visiting family for a few days, but I wanted to take this chance to introduce you to the Bible teacher this morning, just in case you may not know him. Tim Burr has been a part of FBC for over 15 years, but there's three reasons why I'm thrilled that Tim will be opening the word to you this morning. First of all, Tim loves the church. From the moment Tim and Mary Beth began attending FBC, they chose to get involved. And he immediately started leading one of our connection groups and teaching there, which is where his gifts surfaced. And during the majority of that time that he's been here, he has served as one of our elders and our church's treasurer. He's guided us through some pretty challenging times in the past. And so, Tim, we're grateful. Number two, Tim loved his wife. Many of you who knew Mary Beth will remember her love for the Lord and her love for others. She invited women from her community to study the Bible, like few people I've known, and she led some of those studies right here with our women. Uh, Some of you actually are here as a result, ladies, because Mary Beth invited you to trust Christ, and you did. Uh, Several months ago, you may remember that Mary Beth lost her battle with cancer, but she gained heaven as a result. Calvin Miller said that death is but getting dressed for God, and that graves are simply doorways cut inside. Death is painful, and it's grievous, and we feel its loss. But again, we're reminded of Mary Beth's great life and her legacy that she leaves behind here as a result of her faithfulness to Christ. And just let me take a moment and thank you and our congregation for those of you who served Mary Beth and Tim during that time and your prayers on their behalf. You may be asking, Phil, why would you ask such a current widower to open the word of God to us? And I would tell you because Tim's not the only one at FBC who has lost someone over the last couple of years. Many of you have. And the grief and loss are great. And yet in that grief, Tim has continued to teach the Bible to his connection group, not only because the grief and loss are great, but we recognize in Tim's life, so is God's grace and faithfulness. That is great as well. And finally, and most importantly, to you as a congregation. The third reason why I'm glad Tim's teaching is because Tim loves the Word. Tim, like Mary Beth, is gifted at studying and teaching the Word, and he loves it. And because of his excellence in teaching, his small group repeatedly struggles, frankly, to remain a small group. They just keep growing. A number of weeks ago, uh, Tim had picked me up at the airport and been out of town, and I invited him to my son's football game, and I was looking forward to him joining. And when he picked me up. He said, you know, Phil, I'm not, I still have a little bit more studying to do in preparation for my small group. And he said, "Uh, so I'm going to have to pass on the football game. And I was just reminded of Tim's uh, passion and diligence in wanting to know the word well. It's all a part of Tim's wise leadership and love for the word. Tim, thank you for your faithful years of service here. We are grateful to have had the privilege of having both you and Mary Beth here. And I look forward to hearing how the spirit of God uses your teaching in the lives of the FBC family. Welcome.
0: Well, thank you, Phil. That's actually um, very humbling. Praise the Lord. I'm supposed to continue this series on unlikely heroes. Does anybody even know who Caleb is? Yeah. Well, we're going to learn together today. Um, I want to also apologize for my, li- my voice. Uh, it's a little bit raspy. I've had laryngitis this week, probably the worst case of it in my life. But... Um, I trusted God to return it to this stage this morning, and this is as good as it gets. So um, I want to begin sharing with you from Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, God made a promise to Abram. Abram eventually became known as Abraham. And God said that he was going to give him and his offspring the promised land. This land was inhabited by Canaanites and thus was called Canaan. Now Canaan was the cursed son of Ham, one of Noah's boys. Now this was a very strange land to Abram, meaning that he would have to travel about 400 miles to even get to it. And it was notorious for its wickedness. Listen as I read a few verses of chapter 12 of Genesis. Then the Lord told Abraham, or told Abram, leave your country, your relatives, and your father's house and go to the land that I will show you. I will cause you to become the father of a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. I will make you a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people who had joined his household at Haran, and finally arrived in Canaan. Traveling through Canaan, they, became to, they came to a place near Shechem and set up camp beside the Oak of Moreh. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I'm going to give this land to your offspring. And Abram built an altar there to commemorate the Lord's visit. Then God confirmed this promise to Abraham in Genesis 13, again in Genesis 17. And after that, God confirmed it further to Abraham's grandson, Jacob. And that was done in Genesis 28 and in Genesis 35. That wasn't enough. Then God reaffirmed his promise through Moses in Exodus 3, Exodus 6, Exodus 13, and Exodus 33. God also reminded his people, the Israelites, of his promise in Deuteronomy 1, 6 to 8. When they had camped at Sinai. And again, when they arrived at a place called Kadesh Barnea. So when you make a promise to someone, do you remind them? that often that you made it? So what was God's promise to them? His promise had two parts. First, it would serve as a property deed for Israel to the land of Canaan. And second, it was his promise and his guarantee that Israel would defeat their enemies. Now this promise should have been all that the Israelites needed to obey God. Instead, they doubted God's word. They doubted his promise and they began to walk by sight and not by faith. We're prone to do the same thing today, aren't we? God's promises aren't good enough for us. In our culture today, we want proof. I think it's because we have a crisis of trust in our society. So turn to the book of Numbers. Numbers is part of the Pentateuch the first five books of the Old Testament, and they're written by Moses. The events in the book of Numbers begin about one year after the Israelites' exodus from Egypt. Numbers is a book of divine discipline. It shows the painful consequences of the wrong choices of God's chosen people. The events... Because of their unbelief, what should have been an 11-day journey turned into a 40-year ordeal. I'm going to start in Numbers 13. The Lord now said to Moses, send men to explore the land of Canaan the land I am giving to Israel. There it is again, the land that I am giving to Israel. Now it says here that God directed Moses to send men in to explore the land of Canaan. But if we look over in the next book of Deuteronomy chapter one, we learn that it wasn't God that told Moses to send men in. It was actually that suggestion was made by the Israelites at first. This is Moses speaking in Deuteronomy 1, verse 19. Then just as the Lord our God directed us, we left Mount Sinai and traveled through the great and terrifying wilderness which you yourselves saw and headed toward the hill country of the Amorites. When we arrived at Kadesh Barnea, I said to you, you have now reached the land that the Lord your God is, our God is giving us. Look, he has placed it in front of you. Go and occupy it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. But you responded, Moses said. First, let us send out scouts to explore the land for us. They will advise us on the best route to take and decide which towns we should capture. So it was that suggestion actually came from the Israelites originally. My point is this that was the Israelites' first step of doubt. They don't trust. They didn't trust God to deliver on His promise. I went too far. Doubting God's promises leads to discouragement at least, but also to depression and a loss of hope for you and the others around you. Then these Israelites were there. They were discouraged, they were depressed, and they were completely out of hope. They came to Moses and said that they would send in spies before they go in, thus they would not going to take God's word for what, that was a good land. Now think about that for a minute. Isn't it absurd for the Israelites to send people in to spy out a land that God had already created for them? What's up with that? Well, very simply, they doubted God's ability to keep his promise. Now before we disparage the Israelites too much, We need to recognize that we will often bring ruin on ourselves by paying more attention to what we see, hear, or feel than what what we do with divine revelation. We, too, tend to walk by sight and not by faith. So what happened here? Moses consulted God about this suggestion from the people, and God permitted Moses to allow them to follow their own ways. Not because their way was right but because God wanted them to learn to trust the word of God and to do the will of God and not follow their own way. Remember the admonishment from King Solomon in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not on thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. all of you, and so can I, detail story after story after story where God has directed our paths to get us to here today, December 18th, 2022. Okay, so where did we leave the Israelites? Well, they are at Kadesh Barnea. Where is that? It's on the border of the land of Canaan in the wilderness of Paran near the Sinai Peninsula. So it's on the southern end of what is today Israel. So if New Jersey is a similar size to Israel, Kadesh Barnea would be about where the Delaware Memorial Bridge is. The name Kadesh is a synonym for defeat and lost opportunity. This is quite a sad and tragic story about Israel. So let's go back to Numbers 13 and pick up the reading in the middle of verse two. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel, from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. These were the tribes and the names of the leaders, from the tribe of Reuben, Shamua; from the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, from the tribe of Issachar, Igal, from Ephraim, Hosea, from Benjamin, Palti, from Zebulun, Gadiel, from Manasseh, Gadai, from Dan, Amiel, from Asher, Sether, from Naphtali, Nabi, from Gad, G-U-L. These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. By this time, Moses had changed Hosea's name to Joshua. Moses gave the men these instructions as he sent them out to explore the land, go northward through the Negev into the hill country, see that what, the Lord, what the land is like and find out whether the people there, living there are strong or weak, few or many, what kind of land do they live in, is it good or bad, do their towns have walls or are they unprotected? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there many trees? Enter the land boldly and bring back samples of the crops that you see. It happened to be the season for harvesting the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the wilderness of Zen as far as Rehob near Libo Hamath. Going northward, they passed through, first through the Negev and arrived at Hebron where a high Shishai, and Talmai all descendants of Anak lived. The ancient town of Hebron was founded seven years before the Egyptian city of Zone. When they came to what is now known as the Valley of Eshcol, they cut down a cluster of grapes so large that it took two of them to carry it on a pole between them. They also took samples of the pomegranates and figs. At that time, the Israelites renamed the Valley Eshcol Cluster because of the cluster of grapes that they had there. I want to point out here that the 12 men that were selected to be his spies had to be younger men because they had to endure the rigors and the dangers of their mission. They were going to be traveling about 500 miles during those 40 days, which meant an average of 12 and a half miles per day. But it's interesting that they didn't find out anything new that God hadn't already told them about. They even visited Hebron, where the patriarchs of Israel were buried with their wives. That would certainly serve as a reminder of the faith of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. But it didn't encourage their own trust in God, at least not for 10 of the 12 spies. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses, Aaron, and the people of Israel, Kadesh, in the wilderness of Paran. They reported to the whole community what they had seen and showed them the fruit that they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We arrived in the land of you sent us to see. Rather than referring to the land as the land the Lord our God is giving us. Even the way they referred to the land reflects their doubt in God. And this doubt discouraged the Israelites Discouragement will lead to ignoring God's will for you and for others. But the people living there, I would go on to say that this was the report, we arrived in the land you sent us to see. It is indeed a magnificent country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here are some of its fruit as proof, but the people living there are powerful And their cities and towns are fortified and very large. We also saw the descendants of Anak who are living there. The Amalekites live there in in the Negev and the Hittites, Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and all along the Jordan Valley. Verse 30 there, Caleb tried to encourage the people. As, he, as they stood before Moses, he said, Let's go at once to take the land. He said, We can certainly conquer it. We must go up and take possession of the land. Caleb saw Canaan not as an obstacle like all the others did, he saw it as an opportunity. He expressed the confidence in God that Israel would be victorious. Caleb was a faith filled man very brave, and he stood out among the cowards. Despite Caleb's encouragement, discouragement spread throughout the camp, and their doubt in God led to unbelief in his promise. Verse 31, But the other men who explored the land with him answered, We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread discouraging reports about the land among the Israelites The land we explored will swallow up any who go to live there. All the people we saw there were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. We felt like grasshoppers next to them, and that's what we looked like to them. It's still true today that to an unbelieving world, it is impossible and unreasonable for anyone to trust a God that they've never seen or heard. But we have all the evidence we need in nature itself to convince us that God is dependable and he is powerful to accomplish his promises. And so did the Israelites. Unbelief is serious business because it challenges the character of God it rebels against the will of God Hebrews 11:6 tells us but without faith it is impossible to please God My third point is that ignoring God's will leads to rebellion and to God's judgment. And that was true for these Israelites. Moses had reminded the people of what God had already done for them in Deuteronomy 1, but they still would not stop complaining. Look at chapter 14 with me quickly. Then all the people began weeping aloud And they cried all night. Can you imagine the sound? Their voices rose in a great chorus of complaint against Moses and Aaron. We wish we had died in Egypt. Or even here in the wilderness, they wailed. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and little ones will be carried off as slaves. Let us get out of here and return to Egypt. Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. It sounds like these people were sure that the best thing for them to do was return back to Egypt and go back into bondage. Really? Chapter 14 goes on to say that there were only four men of faith among the Israelites and they, they would be Aaron. And Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb, two of the 12 spies. These men of faith were distraught over the people's disobedience and lack of trust in God because Joshua and Caleb, despite their pleas to them, the the Israelites plotted to stone them. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground before the people of Israel two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua, the son of Nun, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, tore their clothing. They said to the community of Israel, the land we explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a land rich, flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Do not rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Well, God's judgment was swift, and it was threefold. First, the nation of Israel would wander in that wilderness for a total of 40 years. One year for each day, the spies had unnecessarily evaluated the promised land. During those 40 years, the older generation, which was defined as those who were 20 years old and older, would die in that wilderness and not enter the promised land. All died except Joshua and Caleb. Get this. six hundred and three thousand five hundred and fifty men of war that came out of Egypt only Joshua and Caleb would enter the land promised by God and finally the other ten spies that gave the discouraging report would die by a plague because of their evil report God's judgment is rarely pleasant Well, that's my intro. Let me get to Caleb. Let me talk about our unlikely hero. I said earlier Caleb was a faith filled man. By that I mean he was an unrelenting follower of God. In the face of adversaries from his very own nation, Caleb would not doubt God's promises. Caleb would not discourage the nation. Rather, he would encourage them to follow God. And Caleb would not ignore God's will for the nation. Caleb was about 45 years old when this incident at Kadesh Barnea happened. So Caleb would have been about 85, 40 years later, when he finally received his reward of obedience and entered the promised land with the children of those that perished in the wilderness. Caleb and Joshua would have been the only adults from that Exodus generation that were left alive when the Israelites finally entered the promised land of Canaan. Now, even though Caleb was roughly 85 years old, he was not one to rest on his laurels. He could be found at the forefront of the fighting. And when the enemy inhabitants of Canaan were broken, as God had promised they would be, Caleb asked for the land that was still occupied by Canaanites. And according to Joshua 15, he drove them out of the land also. Caleb is a great example for us. He kept his eyes on the Lord when almost everyone else around him refused to trust God. Everyone except Joshua. Caleb sought out and accepted personal responsibility, something that's not seen very often in our culture. Caleb didn't sit back and let others do the work, nor did he look for an easy way out. My point is that Caleb remained faithful for a long, long time. Before entering the promised land, it makes me wonder how long am I willing to be faithful? How long are you willing to be faithful? Caleb was a great, uncompromising, unrelenting follower of God. Can I say that again? Caleb was a great, uncompromising, unrelenting follower of God. You know, the scriptures refer to our Lord as the great shepherd. Conversely, it it refers to us humans as sheep. What we know about sheep is that none of them are leaders. They need the great shepherd because we tend to make bad decisions for ourselves. We have a crisis of leadership in our country, I believe. Yeah, I think we could even say it exists in our world. Others would say that that crisis exists in some of our churches. I wonder why. Could it be that we were not created for leadership Maybe we were created to be followers of the great shepherd, period. Maybe we should be teaching fellowship instead of leadership. One of our missionaries, Paul Cowley, writes a monthly newsletter, and recently he addressed this point very succinctly. He said this, we don't need any more leaders. What the church needs is more followers. When was the last time you heard a sermon on fellowship rather than leadership? Are we the church or are we the world? Are we imitating Christ or are we imitating Caesar? Perhaps the greatest tragedy is in how we disciple children. Lots of ego-building endeavors to funnel our youth into leadership training programs hidden behind the facade of innocuous labels like ministry of school, or school of ministry, I'm sorry, church ministry training, discipleship program, and Bible college. All too often, we merely disguise a carnal ambition to lead later. Everything is done in public on the platform or in the church domain. It is this spirit that we need to slay wherever it exists. Holy humility is the goal, not another title of deacon, elder, director, teacher, or pastor. Alternatively, we ought to strive for the bottom positions of secret service, the hidden places of prayer, the anonymous giving that needs no tax receipt, the silent service outside the church walls amongst the unsaved, the undeserving and the unappreciated. Without this, all the service looks a bit much like grooming for leadership rather than simple servanthood. There's a vast difference between the two. Seeking to make disciples, we've done nothing more than raising Cain. Well, let me close with this question. You want to know what God's will is for you? It is actually quite simple. If you are not already a follower of Christ, then God's will for you is to repent and to follow him. There is no better week to do that than this week. You need to know that Almighty God left his place in heaven to come here as a baby boy to give you your place in heaven. 2 Peter 3, 9 says this, The Lord isn't being slow about his promised return, even though it sometimes seems that way. But he is waiting for the very reason that he is not willing that any should perish. And he is giving more time for sinners to repent. If you haven't done that, he wants you to accept his free gift of salvation. It's a free gift because his son Jesus already paid the penalty for your sin and for mine. If you are already a follower of Christ, then God's will for you is simply to continue following him like Caleb did. Trusting him fully, like Caleb did. Learning regularly from his word how to follow him. And don't be concerned about leadership. Because if we're doing a good job of demonstrating fellowship, then the Holy Spirit can do his work of convicting souls and leading people to Christ. The subtitle of this message was given, I think, by the pastoral staff, How God Uses Your Senior Years. But what we just talked about is how God uses all of your years. It's not just about senior years. It's all of your years. And it's about fellowship. It's all about following God like Caleb did the key is to begin our fellowship early by committing ourselves to the great shepherd like Caleb did so may we all learn to be a Caleb let's pray Father we are in awe of how you have taught us from your word you've made it clear to us what you expect of us that you want us to be followers of you. We pray that you would increase our trust in you and that you would find us faithful this week. We pray for those who don't know you yet, that they would make that final step and accept their position in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.